Hi, everyone, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. I'm Stephanie Ricca, Editorial Director of Hotel News Now, and with me, as always, are STR's Isaac Colazzo and CoStar Group's Jan Freitag. Hi, Steph. Hi, guys. Hey, Stephanie. Last we spoke, it was near the end of January, about a month ago from the Alice Conference in L.A. And is it just me or does that feel like it was 10 years ago? It seems like a long, long time ago. I mean, January really does have roughly 200 days in it. But wow, that that feels like a long time. And, you know, since then, and I'll remind you that you were both fairly optimistic then at the start of the year. Biggest and best news out of the hotel industry has been the biggest and best ADR nights in the U.S. of all time, which happened to be Super Bowl Saturday and Super Bowl Sunday nights in Las Vegas. Let's unpack this a little bit. Tell me more. Yeah, Las Vegas was very exciting, right? So I happened to be in Las Vegas days before the Super Bowl. And what struck me was just the, uh, there was a lot more going on in those days leading up to the Super Bowl than I've seen in previous occasions, right? Because normally there's a lull. Normally conferences come to a lull and have a big event. But here, I mean, there were major conferences, and you'll appreciate this, Steph. I did a run in the morning. Normally when I run the strip in the morning at 7 a.m., there is no one. As I'm passing Resorts World, there's all these runners coming at me. Apparently, the conference at Resort World had their own 5K. So I almost joined them. But it was it was crazy. I think uh, it was even the uh, Venetian Palazzo we walked through there, and it was filled with convention attendees who were there ahead of the Super Bowl. So I think Vegas really just knocked it out of the ballpark for the entire week, not only for the weekend. And that's definitely a difference from, let's say, Formula One race weekend a couple months ago, where that week ahead, the regular schedule was cleared so that the city could get set up. But I find that really interesting because one of my questions was going to be, is this typical? Because you think Super Bowl is always, got to say it, the only game in town, but... Maybe not necessarily. I don't think it was typical. I mean, it just didn't feel typical. It felt like a normal convention week in Vegas, not a Super Bowl week, right? Because I remember here in Atlanta, you you know, it was different when Atlanta hosted Super Bowl. There were a lot of events, so a lot of things happened before the Super Bowl, right? Uh, concerts and things, but it would to me it was more people locals attending that. I don't I don't remember it being a big. Convent, or people coming in specifically for it. I'm sure they did, but it, it would just, I don't remember that. I have to check that data actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So it's going to be very interesting to check this next year if we right. see an impact on the demand. You know, people always say, oh, it's a tough comp, it's a tough comp. We have to remember a year ago. Maybe next year we won't <laughs> see the demand impact, certainly on the ADR side, though. Yeah. You know, remind me, what was the ADR <laughs> that we decided on for a Saturday night? It was like seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, it was, right? I was gonna say seven forty. I was gonna say seven forty-eight, but it's like around seven fifty. Yeah, you're around that. It's high. It and, was and, high. And the forecast was in the five hundred range. So even with all our, you know, thinking hats on, and we thought, okay, this is gonna be pretty strong and the strongest ever. You know, we underestimated the power of the uh, of the resorts. It was, a, so, I guess, yeah, just a lot of people came in for it and they had multiple, most of the hotels had three day, three night minimums and things. So it was just crazy. Saturday was 758 and Sunday was 808 and the strip was even higher. 
one kind of one fact that that popped out at me that I wanted to ask you both about um, the last two Super Bowls. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think for the last two, the best ADR night of that weekend was Saturday. Why is that when the Super Bowl game itself is on Sunday? We have to look at what time the game was, but most of them have been in the evening. So right. people just left. Yeah, I, I am surprised at that as well. Because you would, but again, the Super Bowl itself doesn't hold that many. I mean, the actual game itself is, if you want to call it smallish, there's still thousands of dollars, right. thousands of people, right? But I guess maybe it is people coming in to enjoy all the pre-Super Bowl festivities, and then they can't, they don't have a ticket to the game, so they leave. But here, you're in Las Vegas, and you know Las Vegas has its own charm and atmosphere, and so people didn't want to leave. Maybe that's the reason. And maybe also the three-night minimums that we heard about, maybe that also played a role. I don't remember how if that was a, as big a deal in the other two locations. Over the so next year's New Orleans... And it's going to be interesting to see if New Orleans is taking a page out of the playbook yeah. <laughs> of what Hotelier has proved here, um, specifically, you know, with, with, the, with the minimum stays. You know, so yeah, it's going to be also, interesting. Smaller market, obviously. Yeah, smaller market. And the year after, it's in, back in L.A., which I was surprised to see it's back in L.A. So it'll be... Uh, so what do you think, um, you know, now that we're at the end of February, how much of an impact on total February is this one weekend going to show in the numbers? And can you, you know, kind of, can you think a little bit about what February looked like minus the Super Bowl? Yeah, actually, we've been doing a lot of that in all the in our uh, STR blog. We've also in all the articles we've been putting on H and N and our LinkedIn. We've been doing with and without. So through the seventeenth, that's the data we have currently through last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. Uh, ref par for the U.S. is up. Six, uh, about six percent, right? And then if you take out, I just lost my data. Give me a break here. Uh, if you take out Las Vegas, it gets down much. It goes to about one point three. So Vegas, and it's all coming from the rate side, right? And so yeah, Vegas is really pushing that number up. Um, definitely, we expected that. I mean, again, it, it's a, it's the largest market in the U.S. And that ADR was just tremendous, right? So again, uh, it makes sense that it's going to move the needle, especially for the U.S. industry overall. And again, just put this in your notes if you're listening today for next year. You know, the ADR increase, you know, for the nation, 6.6%, that is an, uh, a, a way high number. You know, if you take out Las Vegas or if you take out the independent luxury properties, you get a slightly different number. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I mean, again, it will expect, I would ex it's potentially, or as we think about it, February could be down next year, right? Just in Rev Park, mm -hmm. just because of that exactly. huge ADR. So we just plan for it as we, even though it's not our... Uh, it's not a budget planning season yet, but it's already a known potential, it, right? It comes up faster than you think. And right. and the other bookmark to place for New Orleans next year will be the fact that we'll have Super Bowl and Mardi Gras pretty close together. Mardi Gras did very well for the city this year. I don't know exactly what the dates are going to be next year, but that will uh, that'll be a fun a fun place to look at as it yep. as it always is. A year from now. So we have to remind ourselves, set your watches and we'll come back and check.
Correct. And it's going to be better because Easter, of course, this year is in Q1, and next year is going to be in Q2 again. So, uh, See, this Mardi is what gives us things longer. to talk about, right? Exactly. It goes back to my comment back in Alice about this being a boring year. See, now we're talking about dates again, things <laughs> shifting. But that's good. I enjoy that. That's better than what we've gone through. <laughs> so, Anything else standing out from February performance? Uh, from you guys before we uh, move on to our next topic? Yeah, I think uh, what I'm still seeing, well, actually, I need to go backwards a little bit, if you don't mind, Steph, to, to January, and then we can tell you what's happening in February that stands sure. out. Does that, that makes sense? Yes. So, you know, this guy here, the guy talking to you, missed it in January, right? So I, I have a forecast out there. We were certain that ref par would grow 2.3% in January. It only grew 0.9, so we missed it by 140 basis points. So that's a big miss. Normally, we don't see that. And it was a combination of occupancy and ADR. So I continue to look into that. And again, it's coming basically still from the um, economy chain scale. That's where we continue to see the much. Ding. Yeah. And um, it is, it's still perplexing to me. I've been, as we talked about in previous podcasts, we've done a lot of work in trying to understand why this continues to happen. But again, it, it's like death by a thousand needles kind of thing, right? And so there's not just one thing, it's multiple things, but it continues to negatively impact the industry. And if you just remove uh, the economy chains, ref par for the industry, was better, but again, it, it was close to what we what we had. So it was at one point three percent, but still below my forecast. Mm -hmm. So that's just that one chain scale. So there are other. We January was not kind to many of the um, other chain scales. We saw declines in upper mid scale. We saw declines in mid scale as well. So January was a weaker month than we thought it would be. And then as you're going back, if you think about February, we're seeing exactly the same thing in February. But at least now it seems to be lessening a bit, but it's still playing a role. So even though we're seeing that great growth um, it, because of uh, Las Vegas, we still have what I like to call a demand leakage on the economy side. But we still have to take weather into consideration, right? I think the the January President's Day winter storm for that whole week I'm based here in Nashville and arguably the city was shut down for five yeah. days. School was out for six days. Yes, it happened on Sunday night, Monday, and that was fine. That was the holiday. But then I live not on a, on a small side street, which was not plowed at all. Yeah. You know, we don't have enough plowed because we live in the South. And right. I'm afraid that looking forward this year, next year, and so forth, I think there's going to be a steady drumbeat of weather-related events. And, you know, some cities in the South are not prepped for winter and storm and ice the way we've seen it, that could, that then impacts how people travel or not travel. It impacts mm -hmm. uh, group meeting behavior. It impacts uh, airports. Being As closed. you know, my, my place overlooks what I call Hotel Row in Nashville. And yeah, that ice storm, snowstorm, I mean, there was nothing moving. And I even, even that Friday, because the snowstorm happened on a Monday, even that Friday, we trying to meet some people for dinner and I walked was actually still treacherous because nothing was uh, plowed. And of course, I driving by then you could drive but it was it was just crazy so yeah that did impact that market and it's yeah. almost like those events that you don't think about right because we right. talk about these as we talk about these trends as they're happening at str and costar about oh what you know what 
what caused that drop for this week? And then you kind of cast your memory back to what it was. And and it's it's interest it's interesting to see what a chunk weather can bite out yeah. of performance. But all those things considered, right? Mm-hmm. Has either of your both of your, I know you do not think with a collective hive mind, definitely not, but how has the year so far colored your outlook for, let's just say the remainder of Q1 here in 2024? Because again, a month ago, you were both pretty optimistic saying, good, good, good. How do you feel now and what's causing that? Well, I think from a data perspective, if we're suggesting that January came in below, a little bit below expectations, the good thing is I think that February is coming in well above expectations yeah. to take everything into consideration. And yes, you can sort of explain away why January is slightly below and why February is above or slightly above or a lot above. So I think overall that leaves me with Q1 being, you know, pretty good. But of course, Easter is in there. Like the, the last week um, of March is going to be a, a nothing week, you know, and that will drag the, the performance of Q1 down and the performance of Q2 up because it's an easier comp. So um, it hasn't, these are all just calendar events. As Isaac said, unfortunately, we have to point at these numbers to say, oh, this is why the data is what it is. But I don't think it changes the underlying sentiment of how we feel. And honestly, I feel better because tourism economics, Oxford economics keeps continuing to tweak their GDP forecast and they have actually revised it upward. Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, key. this year, the role of the optimist will be played by Jan Freitag. <laughs> I, I know, Jan, you're taking my place. Hey, get out of my space, buddy. Hey, uh, going back to the, the, the Oxford economics uh, GDP forecast, yeah, it keeps rising. In fact, right now, GDP is expected to grow essentially the same as it did last year with a very strong first quarter and a strong and a and a strong each second quarter, and then some more moderate growth third and fourth. But it is interesting as I go around, Steph, I am still optimistic as well. You know, I do worry when I miss a forecast or when we miss a forecast, because obviously it's a team effort. And so, but what I see when I'm traveling right now and what I, and it, I see it in observation of people, and then I also look at the TSA data. I mean, TSA is well above now, 5% above what it was in 2019 for this period. So people are de- more people are flying than they did post uh, pre-pandemic. So we know people are going someplace. Mm-hmm. And then I was in Miami last week, albeit it was the Food and Wine Festival, which just happened to be there ahead of that. And the hotels were full. How do we know the hotels were full? Because one of our clients was bumped from the hotel they were supposed to stay at because we had a client meeting and we couldn't find a room because everything was full. I mean, Miami's a big hotel market too. And you go, wow, everything is full. And this is not even spring break. And that's when I found out was the Food and Wine Festival. I should have stayed for that. That would have been fun. But um, but it's, it's I, I, yeah, I still, pe- people are traveling. Do we have, you know, are we missing something on the economy end? Yeah, we, we are. We will continue to investigate. But on the upper upscale, luxury upscale, it's, they're doing well. And, as, and then, again, with the conference side also booming, it's also supporting that to a greater extent. In recent weeks, we have had most of the big public companies, the C-Corps and the REITs, had their full year 2023 earnings calls. And, of course, we know that the real fun in those calls is talking, uh, hearing them talk about what their outlooks are for the current year. And I think one of the prevailing sentiments that we've heard from the REITs especially is, 
man, most of them are dying to buy hotels and not at all ashamed to talk about how uh, how much they want that. Yet at the same time, so far this year, at least in the U.S., we have not seen any major single asset transactions Um Though we have seen a couple overseas, there's some interest in the UK. Starwood Capital picked up a portfolio of Radisson from, uh, Radisson's from Edwardian in London. And then, of course, we saw MCR make a buy in London a couple weeks ago. What's your take, Jan? I know that you tune into the earnings calls. What's your take on how you think people are feeling about transactions, financing, what those opportunities might be? Yeah, before I jump in, let me just look at the other, uh, pick up what Isaac talked about on the, on the group side. Sure. Um, I have in front of me the three earnings calls from uh, Marriott Hilton and Wynn, and just three quick quotes to sort of give color to the underlying fairly positive sentiment. So Anthony Capuano from Marriott, small and medium-sized corporate, the demand coming out of those groups continues to be quite robust. Chris Nasetta from Hilton, we expect continued recovery in small company meetings and large association and convention business to drive strong group performance. And then uh, Brian Galbrans, who's the COO, I believe, for Win, is saying, and this is these are his words, the outlook for group business is super strong. 24 is pacing towards a record room night. So point is, yes, we feel very good about full-service hotels, about upper upscale. Now, the occupancies are still not quite where they were because we've obviously added new hotels. But I think on the room demand side, smooth sailing or great yeah. sailing, or in, in Isaac's case, oh, you got displaced, we can't find another room <laughs> sailing for that poor um, customer. So on the group side, we continue to be very, very positive. Isaac, do you want to add to that? Yeah, what I was going to say, you reminded me of something I'm working on another presentation, as we always, we never end working on presentations, right? But I'm doing something on uh, for luxury, and it's luxury and upper upscale. And as of January, compared to 12 months ending January versus the same 12 months ending January 2020, more rooms have been sold in luxury and upper upscale than the pre-pandemic period. So it's already surpassed. So that's amazing. Again, a lot of that is that groups and meetings coming back. And this is a global number, looking at it just globally. And it is a fascinating to see that. Again, what I saw in Vegas just put the cherry on top, right? Because I, I've been to the Venetian Palazzo many times. IHG used to hold their conferences there, right, every year. But I, it was packed. I was like, you couldn't walk in. If you remember where it says love, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. In this, you couldn't walk through it. It was so packed. And you go, wow. So, and again, it, I think that it, it's going to be. I think it'll be a great. And all my meeting uh, planning friends tell me that this is another great year for them. They're busier than ever before. And so, but Stephanie, coming back to your transaction question, because that is maybe not going to be <laughs> the, right. the busiest year ever. Sure. Uh, there is still just a lot of uncertainty now. It sounds like that the consensus is for the Fed to cut their interest rate, not at the next meeting, but at the June. No, sorry, not at the March meeting, not at the May meeting, but at the June meeting. So maybe that's going to have some implication for the remainder of for the second half of the year. But it sounds like we may now be looking at a lot more transactions transaction activity next year. One interesting data point that, that's coming from our lender product is that we look at just, just CMBS data. When you looked on January 1, 2023, at the CMBS that was due in 2024, was roughly 17 billion or so. When then fast forward you to January 1, 2024, you look at what's coming due this year, 
it's 28 billion. So we added 11 billion of maturities. How did that happen? Well, we talked about extended pretense, stay alive to 25, <laughs> or whichever you know f- uh, favorite bumper sticker you want to use. People have just kicked the cans, kicked the can down the road. What's that rattling have... sound? <laughs> can <laughs> can <laughs> down that road, um, down the refi road. So um, down the extension road. I'm sorry, um, may, not even refi. <laughs> That's the problem. So here we are expecting maybe some more activity as some owners may actually see the end of the runway and say, okay, I can't extend anymore. Now I have to either get more equity or say, look, I'm kind of done here. You know, and we may see some owners forced, quote unquote, to sell. We've seen that on some uh, portfolio transactions where the owner is saying, look, strategically, if I own, I'm making up these numbers, eight properties, let me get rid of these three and then take the proceeds and refi the other five that I have so I can live to fight another day for those properties. Right. I agree. One of the trends, well, just anecdotally that I feel like I've heard in various you know, elevator conversations or at, at other small meetings this year is a lot of owners interested in picking up as much extended stay as they can get their hands on. And I think of a couple companies, I won't mention them by name, but that are kind of equally interested right now in luxury or very upper upscale and also economy extended stay. So extended stay has kind of been that darling. It you know usually is through a down period, even through um, pandemic, of course, and the recovery out of that. But it's it's been interesting to me to hear uh, some of those kind of investment theses from companies looking at those two ends of the spectrum in particular, especially knowing that you know the new Marriott and Hilton products fall under that extended stay umbrella. Yeah, what's interesting, like, we, you know, we've been talking about economy a lot. And if you break it out, traditional and economy extended stay, even though economy extended stay is a very small portion of the economy segment, they've done well. Yes, they've lost a little bit of demand, but I'm talking a little bit. They're not seeing the big the big losses that the entire or the traditional economy segment is seeing. So, yeah, uh, I think people, again, it's it's a favorite of, of guests at the moment, right? It, because they offer it offers more space and other amenities that are in favor at the moment. So it makes sense. Let me tell you one thing I'm worried about. What are you worried about, Jan? Tell me <laughs> more. Right, wait a minute. Are you getting is this the pessimistic Jan now? Is this where we're going? I want to know. I gotta get my I gotta get ready for this. <laughs> so the extended state product works and it works really well for owners because the profit margins are amazing. When I talk to owners, you know, at, at cocktail parties or at, at conferences, when they talk about extended stay, they just are, they're very happy campers. They work when the average length of stay is yeah, of an course. extended stay. And I wonder if people who want to jump on the bandwagon and who don't fully understand that this is about a length of stay game and they're used to running hotels where you, if a guest comes to you and says, can I please have a room for a night? You say yes, always. This product type, however, necessitates that you have to say no. (laughs) Because if you take overnight guests, the model breaks. Of course, it can still work, but the profit margins that are expected will not happen if your extended stay, if, sorry, if your average length of stay is suddenly goes from, you know, 14 nights or even some, some people have said 30 nights to two nights. 
You're going to need a lot more staff. You're going to need a lot more amenities. And suddenly the system breaks. So I'm very, very curious. Like, I wish everybody well. And I hope this works out. But I want to see a little bit more track record here first. And that's what those two new brands, um, the Hilton and the Marriott brands, are both saying right now, selling them as that very long extended stay, like 20 to 30 nights, maybe 30 plus. Don't quote me on that. But I just see a lot of interest there. Yeah, but if you're an owner who has a brand and who just is used to the nightly, overnight business, how do you change your mentality to say no to somebody who knocks on your door and says, oh, it's just two nights. Can I stay with you? Yeah, but you hire the right GM who has that experience. You And then you rely, hopefully, on the brand to help you learn a new way of doing and, business. And maybe lock out the rest system and say, I was going to say, you fill it up. Six days, you, that's where you fill you it up with it. long-term crew yeah. business, which and I think is what they're going for. And bring your rev manager. Yeah, you're, as long as you have the right team in place, I think the owner can make it. As long as the owner's not making the decisions. And again, not that they're, <laughs> I'm sure they could do it. But again, you have the right team who understands that type of business. I think they'll be fine. Totally. It's, it is interesting to see, um, especially now at this time of year, you kind of look at new brands being announced and, and what's happened. And so those two that we've mentioned too. And the other one to keep in mind that Hilton still has yet to announce the luxury lifestyle brand that uh, Chris Nassetta has been teasing for the last couple months. So that will be something else to look for. Now, I want to circle back. Isaac, you mentioned Miami. South Beach Food and Wine Festival, Miami's Miami's a bumping place. But they don't necessarily want spring breakers. So I got to ask you guys about this, you know, It's a good way to kind of uh, change our mindset from the snowy days of January and February to start thinking about spring break. But I read just this morning that once again, and they did it last year, Miami Beach is is trying to kind of pump the brakes on uh, more traditional spring break activity this year. And they do that by saying something like a midnight curfew, which nothing even starts in Miami until after midnight, Um, you know, hefty fees for downtown parking, closing beaches. And then Fort Lauderdale comes in and says, well, maybe we should do the same thing because we don't want all these people who can't go to Miami coming here. Any thoughts right now from both of you who I am sure are just avid spring break partiers about what we might expect from this forthcoming spring break season, which, of course, is not limited to just one week, but seems to be the entire month of March. So I am not from this country, having not under, <laughs> even understood what spring break actually is. Maybe we I'm should like, send oh, Jan to Daytona. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to send you out on a road trip. But you know, that's what we, we have to do this podcast at Daytona during spring break. And then you'll understand. It's um, it's yeah, all the you know, all the universities let out, Jan, as you know. You, you no, no, I mean, I get it now. Yeah. I'm just saying, like when I when I first started in this country in college, I'm like, wait, what does everybody do? And the thing is, I was of course already over 21, so I'm like, why are they all drinking? I can I can drink every night. I don't understand. Because you so, want because you didn't want to leave Ithaca in the middle of winter to go to a sunny <laughs> place. Come on. <laughs> so I get the city. I get the citizens saying, look, we are fed up. 
we have a mayor in Nashville, Tennessee, who rode on a platform because sort of people have had dubbed Nashville Nash Vegas. And he his his bumper sticker was more Ville, less Vegas. Point point is, you know, we want to be more a city for our locals, not just for the people who come in here to party. And so I totally understand that the that the, the city council is saying, look, this was all fun and games, but it's it's getting out of hand. You know, it's getting crazy and we don't, people don't want to live here anymore, you know, and we have to pay for the policing and all the cost and the cleanup that goes with it. So yeah, absolutely. Push the burden back to the people who make the mess. I totally get it. And these cities don't need to rely on that particular right. type of tourism demand, right? That's <laughs> right. And they want to make it more, get, you know, families who are there with their children for the spring break. Cause I mean, that's also a big deal too. So I think it can be managed a little bit better, and I think that's what you're going to see. But you're not going to see the disappearance of spring break per se. And so it will just it will continue. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, I think this is the, the spring breakers are going to happen. They're just going to find different outlets and different venues in different cities. And I think cities have to just be very, very careful who they let in and 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 how they how they police that. And it's also the organization. I'm just thinking out loud now as I think about this. It's um, people are coming in, but it, where you see the issues is for the, the, the I can't think of a word, but there's activities that are that are arranged by sponsors, and that's where you tend to see the craziness, right? Sure. Because if you're just at the beach, then you're fine. So you really have to, when you're giving the permits for those kind of events, be mindful, you know, because they're the city's providing that permit to XYZ Corporation to host their spring break festival. Yeah, I think that's the key, too. I don't think it's just people showing up and causing craziness. It's when they congregate in thousands because they're at something. Sure. And, you know, I think it's kind of a, it's it's kind of a fun exercise in looking at travel trends when it comes to locations in general, because we are going to see this this summer, too. You know, you talk about the the what's the term for it? Destination dupes is what <laughs> Expedia called it is, you know, if you like Rome, you might also like X less visited, um, more, I guess, authentic destination. So I think the same goes through for goes true for spring break, because, again, we're all a much more connected universe. And just as much as there's a Miami Beach that may not want spring breakers, there's going to be a Cleveland that might want them. So right. find that find that destination dupe is what we'll yeah. say. Um any other kernel of something on either of your minds for what to think about in 2024 before we wrap up? Anything to kind of put a little question in the in the head of our listeners before we wrap up and that we might pick back up next month? Yeah, maybe not pick up next month or probably pick up in, you know, July, August. We're going to continue to monitor the I-92 APIS data for international inbound. You know, I think that's going to be very, very important for East and West Coast. Uh, we're, we think our estimation is right now that the American outbound number are going to come down a little bit from last year. Uh, that remains to be seen, you know, have Americans gotten their European trip out of their system or have they said that was so awesome. I want to do it again. You know, um, so that, that's a question mark, but I think the international inbound is something that we're watching very, very closely. Yeah. I think that's going to be the out, the outbound U S departures 
is expected to continue growing from tourism economics. So, but at the same time, inbound is supposed to grow. And if you believe the, the data, they expect inbound to be back to pre-pandemic levels by the end of the year. So it's going to be an interesting transition to see, again, will we see continued growth on that outbound and will we will that be mitigated now with increased inbound? And so, but I think that's what we need to watch. Um, I think summer will still, I think it'll be a solid summer. I think you're going to see, I do believe we'll see some of that slowing, even though tourism believes it'll continue to grow, but I do think we'll see some slowing and that outbound U.S. traveler as people start, you know, kind of, again, go back to our keyword from last year, norm, everything gets normalized again, getting back to normal. And so, although this guy is going out of the country this year. So, which, <laughs> so, which is then positive for the hotels domestically, right? right. If we have less international yeah. outbound, that obviously helps. Yeah, and, and again, some of the things we've been seeing, I mean, top 25 markets, I think just to keep thinking about top 25 markets are leading right now, continue to be, that's where the demand growth is coming. And the declines in demand are in all other markets, smaller markets, but top 25 are, are strengthening. And we see that in New York in December, top, they did, they had 10% ref par gain in January. So, you know, you're seeing, again, the return of the markets that matter, if you want to call it that. I don't, that sounds bad, but the bigger markets, essentially. I don't want to call the markets that matter. Every market matters. Every hotel is special. Hey, who needs Paris or Rome or even Nashville? Come to Cleveland, everybody. That does it for this episode. Remember that you can subscribe to this podcast by searching for it by name anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. And remember that you can always submit questions for Isaac and Jan to answer in a future episode by emailing me at srica at hotelnewsnow.com. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Thanks, Steph. Steph. Thank you. Want more of the latest news and insights from across the global hotel industry? Head to hotelnewsnow.com for up-to-the-minute breaking news and subscribe to the new Hotel News Now podcast to hear directly from industry leaders. Available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find podcasts. This episode of Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast, was recorded on February 26, 2024 by me, Stephanie Ricca, and Sean McCracken edited the episode. Find all Hotel News Now podcasts wherever you listen and subscribe by searching for Hotel News Now. And visit hotelnewsnow.com for the latest global hotel industry news. Thanks for listening.